Lord in prayer. Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Father, we are dependent on you now. As we go to your word, we're dependent on you so that we may understand and see the beauty of your text. So help us together to glory in your word and glory in Christ. Father, do not hide your commandments from us, the psalmist says. Make it obvious. Make it clear what you have to tell us this morning through your word. And may we rejoice and we obey. May we honor you, God, because you are worthy. And you're worthy because of so many things. But thank you. Particularly this morning, I, I think of the fact that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Not clean, not, not worthy. It's not when we were worthy, Christ died for us. When we were clean, Christ died for us. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And these truths are our truths because of his death on our behalf. So thank you, God, and may you give them to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been frustrated by the time that you spend in God's Word? Have you ever had de- times of devotion with the Lord in His Word or quiet times with the, with the Lord in His Word where you are frustrated? Most likely you have had times in the Word where you've been frustrated, times of opening the Bible when you were hoping to encounter spiritual fireworks, spiritual fireworks extravaganza upon opening the text and seeing what was inside, seeing these things in the text you hope will grip your heart in some real and intense way, making you to marvel and to to wonder and to cry out to God and worship. But on those occasions, you have found yourself unmoved and disappointed that your chin didn't hit the floor. And those times of frustration are often aggravated, aren't they? They're they're aggravated by, by people you know who have come out of their time in the Word that day with gold. They come and tell you about it. They have these, these, these gold nuggets that they want to show you from, from their time in the Word, and you, and you think, what's wrong with my Bible? What, what's, what's going on? What's, what's wrong with it? How come I didn't mine the same gold from the text that he did or she did? Where's my gold? During these times, we can begin to doubt that God's word is really as, is as awesome as we've heard it to be 
And we can, we can doubt that it's really as awesome as we've experienced it to be in the past. We may think to ourselves, maybe it's, maybe it's the book of the Bible I'm in. Maybe it's, you know, maybe I need to get out of the Old Testament and get into the New Testament, find, you know, get into one of Paul's letters. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. You know, you think, oh, God, maybe I'll just move books. You know, I've done that. There's nothing, nothing necessarily, necessarily wrong about that. But we can start to do that habitually, you know, when we're not feeling a certain way upon reading the text that we, we hop to another book and we, uh, well, I'm not really feeling the way I want to feel when I read this book of the Bible, so I'm going to hop over here and it becomes a habit, and that habit may be a sign of discontentment with God. We may also find our time in God's word dry so that we'd rather just read Christian living books, right, uh, or, or theology books. We'd rather read somebody else's writings about Christianity, about the faith, about the Bible, instead of actually read the Bible. And so we turn to Christian works outside the Bible, books that are not inspired by God, as the Bible is, books that are not without error, as the Bible is without error. It may be that we start listening to sermons on a regular basis, and, and we replace reading the Bible with listening to sermons, thinking, well, this, this guy, he's, he's got the degree, he's, got, he's gone to seminary, he, he might have a doctorate, and, and he's got the time during the week to, to really mine out the gold. You know, in, in the scripture text, I, I don't have that kind of time. He gets paid to do that. You know, he's got 20, 30 hours that he spends, whatever. And so you replace reading the word with listening to sermons. I, listen to sermons. That's wonderful. That's great. I, I, we should do that. We've got lots of resources. We live in a time when you can have access to so many solid preachers. But we can of, often make an exchange. Bible actually reading the text, studying the text for listening to preaching. Pretty soon, if we're not careful, church, we can begin to implicitly or explicitly act as though our lack of spiritual fireworks and reading God's Word is due to a problem with the Bible. It's not clear enough. The language is it's outdated right? It's, it's too heady. It's too big. There's such of it, etc. Allow me to make something clear, and it's probably pretty obvious. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with us. But here's some hope. That does not mean that there's nothing that we can do to address the problem. It does not mean that there's nothing we can do to address the problem. There is something we can do to address the problem. And what the author of Psalm 119 would have us do is to pray. Pray. Pray when you go to read and study God's Word. Prayer is the indispensable companion to studying the Word of God. Let me say that again. Prayer is the indispensable companion to studying and reading the Word of God. We forget that a lot. Listen to these words from an old theologian named B.B. Warfield in, in regard to this prescription. 
He says, sometimes we hear it said that 10 minutes on your knees will give you a truer, deeper, more operative knowledge of God than 10 hours over your books. What is the appropriate response than 10 hours over your books on your knees? You know what he's saying? Don't replace the Bible with prayer. Rather, get over the Bible and pray as you're discovering who God is there. Pray as you're reading. Pray before you're reading. Pray before you study. Pray as you're studying. I believe this is true as we consider going to the Bible to encounter God and be changed by him, that prayer is the indispensable companion to studying the word of God. This morning, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. hope you didn't think I was going to preach the whole chapter. Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. And we're going to read the text and then dive in. Here's what the psalmist writes. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. May the Lord bless his word. In this text... Here's what we see. We see that the word of God, number one, the word of God should not be separated from prayer. The word of God should not be separated from prayer. And we also see that the word of God should not be separated from trials, too, I think. And I'm going to spend more time on the first point because I think there's more of that in this text. But... Um, We'll, so we'll be talking about how the word of God should not be separated from prayer, but we'll also be touching on toward the end the fact that the word of God should not be separated from trial. That's also crucial. So let's jump into our first point. The word of God should not be separated from prayer. And if we look at the text here in verse 17, we see the first prayer prayed in relationship to the word of God. Let me read that again. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. There are two major ways that this uh, verse has been interpreted. One is to interpret it as being a prayer for an easier life, a prayer for the good life we would say, right? He says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live, live meaning uh, live uh, an easier, a, a quieter um, life. And then also praying a prayer for God to enable him, the psalmist, to live a life of obedience to God's word. The other way that has 
been suggested to interpret this text, is to say that the prayer that the psalmist is praying here is to ask for God to keep him alive. To actually just keep him alive because his life is threatened. And it's also a prayer to enable him to live a life of obedience to God's word. So I think here that there is more reason for us to take the second option because here's what we see in the text. As we look in this stanza toward the end of the psalm in verse 22, we see that the psalmist is experiencing scorn and contempt, right? He's receiving that. He's the, he's the object of the scorn and contempt. And also in verse 23, we see that princes are plotting against him, right? These people in high authority are trying to figure out how they can do him harm, and, and people are ridiculing him and being malicious toward him. So I think there's good reason to believe that his life is on the line, so he's praying, God, deal bountifully with me so that I live, live, actually survive, my, that my life, my physical life will continue. Keep me alive, God. And then also deal bountifully with me so that I may keep your word, obey you as my God, as my Father. The prayers for God to save our lives are pretty common, right? God, save my life, keep me alive. Those are pretty common prayers. We want to keep our lives. We want to stay alive. But for what reason? We still have things we want to accomplish, right? We still have things we want to see. Maybe you want to stay alive so you can get married first. Maybe you want to stay alive so that you can have your career ambitions fulfilled. Right? You want to tackle those first. Maybe you want to have kids or you want to see your kids grow up or you, or you want to wait until your kids have kids so that you have grandkids. Maybe you want to stay alive because there are still places in the world that you haven't visited yet and you want to get to those places. We have many reasons why we don't want God to take us now, right? And there's nothing inherently bad about those desires. But how often are our prayers for continued physical life combined with prayers for God to be glorified in us by obeying his word, right? So how often are our prayers for God to continue our physical lives, keep us alive, combined with prayers that, God, may you give me grace to obey your word so that my spiritual life not only continues but grows and thrives. Often, our prayers for continued physical life are for reasons other than to live life faithfully for our Lord. I, I would ask this question. Should these two prayers for continued physical life and prayer for God to give us grace so that we may live for him, should those prayers ever be separated? Should they ever be separated? God, save my life. Give me life. I think we should always put with that this prayer and give me the grace to live for you. Give me my physical life. Keep me alive. And then give me what I need to follow you, deny myself for you and honor you, worship you, enjoy you. Those prayers should be combined always. 
And think about it, too. He is the one who's given us our physical life, right? He's the one who, who's given it to us in the first place. He's the one who sustains it. He gave us our physical life, but he also gave us spiritual life in Christ, right? He loved us first. He sent Jesus down to die while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He converted us. He justified us. He's sanctifying us. So he is the one who's worthy of our very lives. Let's keep these prayers together, church. Keep them together. You know, I think, I think the psalmist here gives us a great example of what it means to pray in the will of God. Right? You've heard this before. We need to pray and, and make our requests, but pray in the will of God. It is what God has desired and, and told us about in his revealed word. See, I, I think this is true of me. I think it's true of you as well, if you're, we're honest with ourselves, that we often use God in our prayers. We use him in our prayers. We see him as able to give us what we desire, so we pray that God would give us things or, or do things for us, but oftentimes our prayers are really just selfish requests to fulfill selfish desires. It's like when James says in his, his epistle, chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We're guilty of that. The psalmist here is, He's not asking God to spare his life so that he may spend his life pursuing his own selfish desires. That's not why he's praying for God to give him life. He's praying in the will of God. That is according to what God desires and has revealed in his word. He's praying, spare my life and may my life be lived for you as I live out the truths of your word. Something else too. The psalmist isn't trying to trick God into getting what he wants. Don't act like you haven't tried this, right? Don't act like you haven't tried this. Asking for something from God by putting a godly spin on it, right? Your motives are not in line with God's will, but you think if you ask God for something by, by citing a holy reason, that somehow that improves your chances of having that prayer answered. Two things. Number one, it's pretty obvious. God can see your motives. You can't con him. Okay? But number two, and I think this is important. If we ever think this way, believe that God always desires to give you what is best because of his love for you in Jesus Christ. Be, re remind yourself of that. God loves you. I mean, you... If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then you stand in the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees God, Jesus' perfect work on your behalf. So he treats you as if you've lived Jesus' perfect life, right? That's justification. So when you go to pray, remember that God does desire to give you what is best for you. He does love you in Christ, right? He, he's not... You don't have to convince him to give you what is best for you. He's already going to do that, right? He has already planned to, to love you and to give you good things. Now, he's, he's planned to do that through our prayers. That's why we pray. 
It's one of the reasons why we pray, because he's already planned to do that through our prayers. But don't, don't think that God doesn't want to give you what is best. Know that because he loves you in Christ, that when you go to him in prayer, he already desires to do good to you, to do what's best for you as his child. When you look into the word of God and you see what God desires for your life, it's not substandard, church. It's not substandard. It's not something less than what you think the good life is, right? It, it is the good life, okay? And what we often think the good life is, is just less than what the good life really is according to God's word. You see what I'm saying? Our idea of what the good life is, is less. It's substandard. It's, it's not as good as what God has planned for us. He knows what the good life really is. He does, and he's, he's told us in the word, here's how to live your life. Here's what to do. Here's trust me, obey me, worship me. That's the good life. And so when we see the psalmist praying for continued physical life and praying that God would give him the grace to, to live according to his word, He's essentially asking that God would spare his life so that he would live life to the fullest, right? God desires to give you what is best for you. I think had the psalmist lived in New Testament times that he would have been able to say along with the Apostle Paul to live as Christ. Before we move on, I want you just to think a minute about this dependence. Do you see this spirit of dependence that the psalmist has? Praying to God, asking for God, continue my life, give me what I need to live that life for you. He knows he's completely dependent on God for the continuance of physical life and a thriving spiritual life. His dependence is active here, right? His dependence is active. Uh, I know I need God in order to live and to pursue him. So he's praying. His dependence isn't just, uh, it's not stagnant. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not a passive, inactive thing. No, his dependence is active in that he goes to God and pleads with God to give him these things. And we, we see that in the next verse as well, this, this spirit of dependence associated with the word of God. Look at verse 18. We see the second prayer in, that's prayed in relationship to God's word. Not only does the psalmist need God's grace for continued physical life and spiritual life, but he also needs it in order to see the beauty of God's word. Look here. This is a great prayer. <laughs> Underline this if you haven't already. Maybe star it. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Before we go any further, let's establish that the word law here um, really means God's instruction or God's teaching. And we know we encounter God's instruction and God's teaching when we come here to the book, the Bible. And this psalm has in mind the importance of God's instruction in the life of the person who has trusted in Jesus Christ, okay? This, he's talking about um, obeying the law, opening our eyes to behold the law. He's, he's speaking of the word of God as it relates to people who have trusted in Jesus Christ. 
been regenerated. They've been made new. They're, they're his children. In verse 18, we see a prayer asking for God's supernatural help so that the psalmist will not just understand the components of truth that are in the Bible, but that he would see the truths in the Bible as wonderful. I think John Piper helps us here when he says this. Listen to this quote. He says, we are not naturally able to see spiritual beauty. When we read the Bible without the help of God, the glory of God and the teaching and the events of the Bible is like the sun shining in the face of a blind man. Not that you can't construe its surface meaning, but you can't see the wonder, the beauty, the glory of it such that it wins your heart. Make sense? It's not that we can't go to the Word of God and understand components and understand the flow of the text. And maybe, you know, when we get to the, the Apostle Paul, the kind of argument he's making, it's not that you can't understand things necessarily mentally, but... Um, we are praying, or we should pray, along with the psalmist, that he would open our eyes to see the things in the Word of God as wonderful, as beautiful, as glorious. We need God. We need Him. And do we, do we need Him to, to understand? Yes, I mean, God's given us our minds. We need Him to understand as well. But I think here what we're talking about is, God, open my eyes so I can see your Word and, and see that it is glorious. And so... It's kind of like this. Have you ever had a friend come to you and tell you, there's this book. You've got this book. You've got to read this book. It's wonderful. It's changed my life. I've read it four times. You've got to read this book. And so they give you a copy of the book. You read the book, and you get done with it, and you think, okay, I don't really get why that's such a big deal. I, I, I don't, what's all the hoopla about now, I'm, I'm not sure why this person was all ate up with this book. Why? What could you have done in order to appreciate the book more? You could have gone to the person who gave it to you and said, listen, I started reading this book, and I'm not sure I'm really getting why it's so great or why it's so important. Will you read it with me? Well, I mean, I know you've... Um, I'm not really used to reading this kind of book, and, and I, I know you are, and I know you've read this book four times, so, so you know um, more about the book. And, and so will you read it with me? Can, can we read it together? And so what happens? You read it with your friend, and your friend can direct your attention to, to why certain details are beautiful. And, and your friend can draw out the sweetness of what the book is communicating, Right? Or, or it's like this. If you're planning a vacation, you're planning to go somewhere, you don't just want to get flights and, and make reservations and just hit the road, all right, or uh, get to that vacation spot. No, you want to talk with someone who has lived there, right? Who's lived there? You, you, want, to, you want to talk to somebody who has been there several times, Right? They can, they can tell you things about that place that, you, that even the, you know, the, the different websites that talk about the tourist attractions and everything, they, they can tell you more than those websites they, because they've been there. They, they know, uh, well, you know what? They never talk about this on the, on the websites, but you've got to go here. 
And there's this other place over here that people always forget about. You, you got to go here. And you know what? Make sure you do this. And make sure, hey, listen, don't do that. That's, that's just a scam. You know, Th- They can tell you how to get the best, out of, the, the most out of your vacation, right? Hit the best places. So you want to talk to a person who's been there, who's, who's seen and has visited it several times. They will help you capture the beauty of the place you're going to visit, right? I think that these examples are similar to what the psalmist is praying for in verse 18. I need help seeing the beauty here. It doesn't come naturally to me. God is the only one who can help us see the beauty in his word. And it goes beyond just having read it a few times, right? It's not that he, well, God, yeah, he's read the Bible a few times. You know, so I, I can trust what he's going to say about it. No, it's more than just having, having read it a few times or, or that he's visited it a few times. It is his word. It is his word. And no one else's. And not only that, but he's the only one with the power to lift the veil over your spiritual eyes so you can marvel at what you encounter there. Do you realize that you're completely dependent on God for seeing wondrous things in his word? Do you realize that? Do you connect praying to reading God's word or studying God's word? Do you connect prayer with your Bible study and your Bible reading? Don't answer yes too quickly in your heart. Because here, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean do you say your prayers in the same sitting as reading the Bible. I don't mean that, that, that you sit down, and when you sit down to have your quiet time, you, you read the Word of God, and you also pray in the same sitting. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean by connecting prayer with your Bible. We will often pray and in our times of devotion with the Lord. We'll often pray, and then we'll redirect our minds to Bible reading so that both the disciplines are there in the same space of time, but they really don't have any other practical connection. What I mean is, is your praying connected to your Bible reading in such a way that you're praying for your Bible reading? Praying for your Bible study. Do you pray prayers like Psalm 119, 18 before you read God's word? And what about during the reading of God's word? Do you, do you pray Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law before you enter into the word, knowing that you're dependent on God to lift the spiritual veil over your eyes so you can see and marvel. And do you, do you stop too? I think, you know, you're coming along, you're reading, you've, you've prayed before, you've gotten in the text, and then you, you encounter something, and, you know, it, it just, you know it should be awesome to you, but it's not. Pray, God, help me. Open my eyes, my spiritual eyes of faith to believe and to wonder and to and stand in awe and to enjoy. And then go on and keep reading. And you encounter something else and you, you pray again. That's what I mean by connecting prayer with the word of God, with your Bible reading. We're dependent on, on him for seeing him in here and seeing him to be wonderful and embracing it as wonderful with our lives. We are. So don't separate prayer from Bible meditation. Pray because you're getting into the Word. Pray because you're going to get into the Word, not just because it's convenient to pair the two together. All right? Bible reading and prayer. Church, isn't it true? 
Isn't it true that we can crack open the Bible as if it's just another book? As if it's just any other book? And we just start our, our process of reading and interpreting, right? We crack it open like it's another book and we start reading it, we start interpreting it as if it's any other work. And when we, we, we don't pray before we open the newspaper, right? And do you pray before you open the newspaper? I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. It's not usually a common occurrence. We don't pray before we sit down with a novel. We don't, we don't usually pray before we scroll through our favorite blogs. And so it's very easy for us to, to carry that neglect over into our, our Bible reading. Like we're just reading another book, another another medium. You've been reading and interpreting since you were six years old, right? You've been reading and interpreting since you were six years old. So it may not occur to you to pray before you come to God's Word. And yes, you may be able to read the Bible and put together the components of the text so that you understand mentally what's going on in the text. But without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to see the wonder of it. You need Him. Are you bored with the Word of God? I know, I know we always encounter, uh, we often encounter seasons like that as Christians where we become bored with the Word of God. Is it, is it really that the Word of God is boring? Is that, is that the problem? that we're not seeing him as wonderful. If you find that you're bored with the word of God, let me ask you this question. Do you find that you're praying before you get into the word? It, it may be that you're not walking away refreshed by the word of God after reading it because you're not giving your time with God in his word to him and asking for his blessing see him as glorious there. You know, because here's what happens. We, we, we often depend on other things before we get into the word of God. We'll, we'll depend on our upbringing, right? We were brought up in a Christian household, and we had a lot of time in the word of God. We had family devotions, right? And we, we also spent time as a family talking about, you know, catechism perhaps. And I grew up in Sunday school, and so I went to church, and so I rely upon my history, my upbringing, and Christianity, and that's what I depend on when I go to the Word of God. Or maybe it's because you've been a Christian for decades, and you know, you, you've, you've read the Word, you, so you know it, and that's what you think. So you go to the Word of God, and that's what you depend on. Or maybe you've sat under superb Bible teaching in your life for, for many years, and that's what you depend on before you go into the Word of God and have a personal time of devotion. Or maybe you've read the best commentaries or, or the, theology textbooks, and that's what you're depending on before you get into the Word of God. You need Him. doesn't mean those things aren't good. Yes, they're good. They're wonderful. But you need Him. You need God to open your eyes. Depend on Him before you get into the Word of God so you can see the glory. So you, you don't see it as boring, but you see it as awesome. So you don't see it as dreary and dull, but you are refreshed. 
Look with me for a second in terms of depending on other things before you go into the Word of God to study it or to read it. Look at verses 99 and 100 of the same chapter here. Psalm 119, verses 99 and 100. Look at this. Psalmist writes, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Right? So he knows more. He knows more than the teachers. He knows more than the aged because of his association with the word of God. He's meditated on. He's kept it. But does that keep him from praying in verse 18? Open my eyes that I may hold, behold wondrous things from your law. Does, do those two verses, 99 and 100, keep him from praying? Verse 18, of course not. He still understands. He's dependent on God to see the beauty. Hide not your commandments from me, God. He understands his desperate need for God and the interpretation of God's word and the and seeing the wonder of it. Church, one definition of prayer, and I think it's a good one, is this. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. Wouldn't this make sense when you consider John 15, 5, when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't see the beauty here, apart from me. We're dependent. We're dependent creatures, right? And so, yes, I bring to you, God, my helplessness. I cannot see the beauty in this text without you. So I require you. I depend on you. I need you to move so that I can see the text for what it truly is. Or have you ever considered the benediction from Hebrews 13 that we often read here at the end of the worship service? Have you, have you considered it? Let's turn there. It's Hebrews 13. Verse this, 20 and 21. Benedictions are funny. Uh, we, we read them so often we become familiar with them, but we don't stop and think what they're really saying all the time. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. You see our dependency here? You see? We require God to equip us so that we may do his will, we require God to work in us so that we may please him, so, so we, may, we may do what is pleasing in his sight. We are dependent creatures. Why don't we take our dependency to God before we enter into his holy word? It is a spiritual book. We need the Holy Spirit to see its spiritual content and its spiritual beauty. Church, the more you grow in holiness, 
the more you grow in holiness, the less you will see yourself as sufficient, the less you will see yourself as strong. And that's a, that's a glorious thing, right? The more you grow in holiness, the less you're going to see yourself as the source of your strength, the less you're going to see yourself as your own sufficiency, and the more you will see God as your sufficiency, more, the more you will see God as your strength. And you know what happens when you see God more as your sufficiency and your strength? The more you see him that way, the more you will run to him in prayerful dependence. The more you will run to him in prayer when you see him as your sufficiency and your strength. He works in us. We're dependent on him. And, and can I show you something else too? Look at this. Um, go back to Psalm 119. We've already seen in verse 17 how we're dependent on God to give us what we need in order to live according to the word. Okay, look at Psalm 119, verse 129. Okay? Remembering verse 18, look at 129. He says, Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Isn't that, isn't that great? Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. How did he come to the conclusion that his testimonies are wonderful? He prayed, God, open my eyes to see wondrous things from your law. And God did that, right? God showed him the wonder of the text so that he says in verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore I keep them. See, because God knows that part of uh, us walking in his way, walking in his truth, means that we've got to see him as truly wonderful so that we'll be motivated to keep his word. We need to see him as wonderful so that we'll obey him and worship him and live for him. And so God has answered that prayer, obviously. He's seen that it is wonderful. His truth is wonderful. And because he sees it's wonderful, that's what leads him to obey and live according to his word. So, in our text, the psalmist prays that God would not hide his commandments from him as well. Look at the next verse. Verse 19. We have another prayer. He says, hide not your commandments from me. But what precedes that? It's another prayer in relationship with the word of God. What precedes that? He says, I am a sojourner on the earth. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. See, he's, he understands as a sojourner, he needs, he needs to understand and see the beauty of God's word. He's a pilgrim whose home is not here, but in heaven. And as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, he needs the word of God. You can understand that, right? Why does he need so badly the word of God? Because he, his home isn't here, it's in heaven. We can easily become distracted by what's in this world. We can easily become distracted from the many pleasures here. And we can, we can easily become sidetracked. And we, we understand, too, because this, this world... Life is 
hard because this world is scarred by sin. And so there's, there's sin that we're dealing with on the inside. There's suffering that we, we are going through and walking through. And so you can understand why the psalmist says, I'm a sojourner. Hide not your commandments from me. I need your word as I, as I walk through this place that is not my home. Please be my guide. Please be what I need. I'm going to give you, church, um, these, these uh, practical steps uh, for how to combine prayer and, and Bible reading before we move on to the next point. Okay? Th- th- this is wonderful because it's, it's actually um, from John Piper. We've got three points here, three practical instructions for combining prayer and Bible reading. Pray and read or study. Okay? So pray, we've already, this is obvious, right? Pray, then move into reading and move into study. See, uh, praying cannot replace reading. This is what John Piper says. Praying cannot replace reading. Praying may turn reading into seeing, but if we don't read, we will not see. You guys see that? If we do not Read, we will not see. So praying cannot replace reading. So praying may turn reading into seeing, but if we don't read, we will not see. So oftentimes we can think, okay, let me just pray, and I, I won't move into reading. I'll pray for, for God to show himself to me, but then I won't get into the text. Don't do that. That's a mistake. Okay. Pray, and then move into the text. Pray, then study. Okay, Because that's how God is going to show himself to you. God, I'm dependent on you to see the wonder of the text. So pray, God, open my eyes, then go to the text because you're not going to see his beauty if it's not there. Uh, you're not going to see his beauty in the word of God if you do not read it. Here's what 2 Timothy 2.15 says. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. You've heard this, right? A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So do your best, be diligent to handle the word of truth rightly. To handle the word of truth lightly, rightly. So you've got to pray, then move into the text. Don't separate the two and don't replace reading the Bible with prayer. Here's a, here's a good one. This is interesting, I think. Number two, pray, so he says, pray and ransack. Pray and ransack. What does he mean? We need to get into the word and we need to go after the truth there. We need to uh, be like, uh, he says, be like a miser that's looking for gold in the text, right? Um, let me tell you a story real quick. Whenever I was engaged to Carrie, I was engaged to Carrie, and uh, I had given her the engagement ring. I'd I'd worked an entire summer to save up for it, and I gave her the engagement ring. And she and I both uh, worked at Wendy's during college, okay? We worked at Wendy's together there, and and she had, um, because she didn't want the ring to get all kinds of, you know, uh, caked up with grease and stuff, she took it off and put it in her pocket while she was at work. And um, she went to go change clothes after work to go to class, and somewhere in the process, she, she lost the ring. She lost it. She didn't know where it was. And so she's frantically looking around that Wendy's restaurant for this ring. 
right? Looking in the trash cans, looking everywhere, looking, like, is it in the bathroom? She's out in the parking lot, and she's scouring the parking lot. She found it. And praise the Lord. But that's how we need to be when we open the word of God. Go looking like a fiance who's, who's lost her engagement ring. Go looking for the truth and the beauty there. Miser looking for gold. Okay, don't just don't just pray and then move into the text to read. Do more than that. Search, dig. Listen, listen to this. Um, I'm going to read Psalm. Or I'm sorry, Proverbs two one through six. Listen to this. Proverbs two one through six. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom. Okay, wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? The word of God. And inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you, listen, seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So he's saying, seek it. Okay? Work hard to find wisdom in the word of God, right? Seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Why? Work hard to find wisdom in the word of God. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Why? Because God, verse 6, gives wisdom. But see how he gives it? He gives it through digging. By the way, we're also dependent on him for the digging. God, give me the grace I need inwardly, outwardly to dig. So pray and read, pray and ransack. And then number three, pray and think, okay? Don't just, don't just turn off your mind, okay? Don't just turn off your mind. Pray, God, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And then think, because 2 Timothy 2.7 says this, thank for what I say. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Thank over what I say. Don't. Don't abandon your mind. Don't turn off your mind. Think over what I say. Why? For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So think. Pray, read, and study. Pray and ransack. Pray and think. See that? Now, my final point is this. The word of God should not be separated from trials. The word of God should also not be separated from trials. Turn back with me to Psalm 119. We demonstrated the word of God should not be separated from prayer. We also see from this text that God, God's word should not be separated from trials. Look at verse 23 here. I've already mentioned this, but he, he says, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Even though princes, these authority figures, are plotting against me, I'm not going to abandon the meditation of your word. When trials come, we have a choice, church. When trials come, we have a choice to make. Since the trial applies pressure to our lives, we see the need for strength, don't we? The, the trial comes, so we see the need for strength. But we've got a choice to make. Where are we going to go to get that strength, right? Where are we going to go to receive it? We will go looking for it in ourselves sometimes, or, or we will go to something else or some other experience, some other human being to receive that strength. Will we go to God, finding him in his word? I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a trial, I don't always run to God's word first. 
always run there first. See, what I do is I, I can often get busy. I get busy, but, but not in the sense that I'm getting busy studying and reading God's word, but, but busy doing what I can to alleviate the problem so, so that I don't make time for feasting on God's word. I'm getting busy. I'm doing what I can to alleviate the problem so, so that I don't have time to get into the word. It's like, it's like this, you know, how when you get in, into traffic sometimes and you think, okay, I, I can't just sit here. So I've got to do something. I've got to do something. So, so you end up going like 40 minutes out of the way, even though it's going to take longer than just waiting in traffic because you, you want to feel like you're doing something, okay, even though it takes longer. Kind of what we do, I think, when we're in trials, we, we, we just do. We, we just get to doing so we can alleviate the problem when we should be going to God's word, not letting the trial uh, send us away from God's word, but letting it propel us to God's word. Never divorce the word of God from your trials. Never. These are occasions that expose our neediness, aren't they? Praise the Lord for trials because they show us what we don't always see, which is we are desperately needy of God's grace. So praise God that he, he, he gives us these times where we're squeezed so we can see and it's more obvious to us, man, I need him. Why haven't I been depending on him? We need God. And God often uses these trials to give us the wake-up call we need, right? Uh, look with me at verse 67 in Psalm 119. Just flip over real quick. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Okay, so before I was afflicted, I went astray. I wasn't living the way you wanted me to live. Then there was affliction brought into my life. You brought affliction into my life. But now I keep your word. See what God, how God used that affliction? went astray before I was afflicted, but now you use the affliction to help me so that I keep your word now. Thank the Lord for trials, but know that you should never separate the word of God from your trials because here's what the, here's what the word of God is. And, and, and the psalmist tells us this. He says in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I'm struggling. Princes are plotting against me. Who are my counselors? Your testimony. Your testimony. He doesn't separate his trials from the word of God. In the storms of trial, we are to cling to the words of God as our counselors. But please do not see God's words as this. Don't see God's words as a therapist to run, to, to whom you can run and get a quick fix. To whom you can run and get a quick remedy so the problem will just go away. Don't see the word of God as that. Right? When we see the word of God like this, we're still on the throne. Of our hearts. Okay, when we, when we see the Word of God as just a, a one stop, kind of stop and go, uh, you know, therapeutic textbook, and we go and we, we, we get maybe the formula or the verse or the little tidbit that we need and, and we move on. That's not how the Word of God is our counselor. It's not. That's not how God works. Okay, because um, if, if that were the way that the psalmist were thinking. I don't think that he would say in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. He wouldn't say your testimonies are my delight if he was just seeking to use the word of God to really get what he wanted, which is just relief. No. Church, let me say this. The reality is that we feel God's helping grace 
when we humbly submit to God's authority over the situation. We trust his promises to us in his word, and we delight in his truth. See, these words here, your testimonies are my delight, these are God-centered words, not self-centered words. The scriptures in context, here's what the scriptures in context mean to do to us. They mean to bring us in line with God's will through dependence on his grace so that Christ is exalted in our worship. That's the way that the word of God is our counselor. Okay? The scriptures in context mean to bring us in line with God's will through dependence on his grace so that Christ is exalted in our worship. I think this is how, uh, this is how the word of God is to be considered our counselor. Okay, this is how this works. I'm going to have you, since I'm out of time, just write down these scripture texts, and I'm going to tell you what they say as I'm going. Number one, John 16, verses 13 and 14. This is Christ speaking in this text, and he says that the Spirit, when he comes, will glorify him. Okay, when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is, comes, he comes to glorify Christ. Okay, so think of that. He comes to glorify Christ. And then we turn to Galatians 3, 5. And in Galatians 3, 5, we see something interesting. What, what, what is, in the text, is he, he's implying that the Spirit is continued, uh, continually supplied to us, right? We're filled with the Spirit as we hear the word of God, and believe. Okay, As we hear with faith. So the Spirit is supplied to us. It's continued to be supplied to us as we hear the word of God with faith. As we hear and believe. So, the word of God is our counselor, right? It's our counselor. We know that the Spirit exists to glorify Christ. So when we come to the word of God, we hear it, and we believe it. We act on it. We're walking in the Spirit, and the Spirit means to exalt Christ. And that's how that that's when we are helped. It's not we 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 in our in our selfish ambitions and our selfish desires go to the Word. We, we just find a little tidbit that we can we can stop and get and move on, so we can alleviate the pain. Quick fix. That's not the way that God would have us use the scriptures. The scriptures mean to bring us in line with the will of God, bring us in submission to him, and, and to worship of him, and to enjoyment of him. And so we go to the word. We understand that the, the spirit always comes with the word. Okay? So as we hear the word of God with faith, spirit comes, and the spirit exalts Christ in our hearts, and we know his comfort, know his peace, know his help. Even if the storm doesn't word of God, the spirit working through the word of God means to bring us into conformity with Christ. So as, as I'm closing, let me just tell you what theme I think is here in Psalm 119 verses 17 through 24. The overall theme is one of dependence. Whether we're talking about uh, going to the word of God and going to God before you go into the word of God with prayerful de dependence, or we're talking about walking through trials depending on God's word. You see dependence. I'm depending on God in prayer so that I may see the beauty of the text. I'm depending on God through the scriptures in my trials. 
simply that I walk in his ways and, and love him and live for him? It's one of dependence. We are a dependent people, right? We, we had to depend upon Christ in order to be converted, right? In order to be justified, we had to fully throw ourselves on Jesus. I have no merit. I have nothing good that I can do to earn my favor with God. I must depend on Christ who is perfect for me. And so I throw myself wholly onto him. We're dependent in that way. We continue to be dependent. Right? As we seek to live for him as our father, to live for God, to honor Christ, we're dependent upon him as we go to the word of God. We're dependent upon him so that we may live, actually physically live, and spiritually live as we seek to obey his commandments. And when we walk through trials, we're dependent on him through his word so that we may be helped and comforted. See, we can depend on God because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, we now can run and actively depend on him and, and bring our helplessness to him because Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for us. So you've got a place to run. In your dependence, in your helplessness, you've got a place to go, the best place to go. That's him, God, Christ, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your text. Use it, please, God. Now, we, we prayed before we got into the text for your grace. Now we pray as we leave this text, give us the grace we need to act upon it. We are dependent on you for the application of it as well. So help us, God. Be glorified in helping us. And may we love you more as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Take your hymnal and turn to number 275. How firm a foundation. Number 275.